You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends, a Q1 Network production. You know, since about 1960, maybe the mid-60s, computer technology has been changing literally everything that um, is part of our life. More interesting, maybe, is that at the rate of about a year to 18 months, it doubles. So technology is changing everything that we do and changing it at a pace that not only changes everything, but changes it real quickly. And that's a blessing and a curse. As a result of that kind of change in the pace, by the way, it's really incumbent upon companies, individuals, organizations to every once in a while take pause, as my dad used to say, is take stock or take inventory. And you may even have to reinvent yourself. Just had uh, a father and daughter team on not too long ago, run a company about 500 people. They talk about how they reinvent themselves and they have to about every five years. And it's really important that we do as individuals. But Deb and I moved back to the Red River Valley, I've had the chance to get reconnected to people that I haven't been able to spend a lot of time with that I knew a long time ago. And catching up with them has just been so exciting. And recently, I had the great pleasure of attending an event where I ran into a friend that we've been friends for probably more decades, we want to admit publicly. (laughs) And I was visiting with Dan. And I said, you know, you ought to write a book. And he said, you know, other people have told me that. And some of the things that just caught my attention were, were how he, uh, out of curiosity, uh, would find himself in opportunities and he would take advantage of them because he was ready and he was always reinventing himself. So it is a great pleasure to have my friend of um, maybe more than 10 years on Mike Seminary Friends. Dan Jacobson, it's great to see you. How are you? Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. It's another opportunity to get out there. <laughs> it is. You know, and we could, you know, we could almost do a series, frankly, to talk about stuff that as kids impacted us. And and for you, you've taken that to a, a level where uh, I just tip my hat. I think, again, I think you got to write a book about the things that you've done because you are uh, you're a great example of how People with curiosity get prepared, take advantage of opportunity. And you've done that, Dan. Just uh, really, really really cool. It's really fun to do. Yeah. Just going to say that right up front, right away. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, so folks know we we've known each other. I'm going to say since the early 60s. Yeah. And we were great friends. We, you know, we hung around enough to where we would call ourselves friends. We had a lot of mutual interests because um, we lived kind of in the same hood, if you will. We grew up at a time where a rock and roll, everybody wanted to kind of have a rock and roll band. And some of us did. And you did. I did. Yeah. Um, and in some ways, your involvement in music helped shape some of the ways you went about your life. Is that a fair statement to make? Oh, yeah. You know, thinking about that, you know, you go the first time, you went on stage first time I went on stage. We we're probably pretty nervous. 
you know, <laughs> no, truth be told, you know, there is that bit of nervousness. And, and I think that's probably a good quality to, to have because it's kind of a check and balance for uh, what your next steps will be. And, and well, I tell you though, when that first song went off, you go, holy smokes, this is going to be a good time. And this it was. Fun. Yeah. It, it, and by the way, for, for the sake of transparency, and you're absolutely correct, your first time, well, I think even the pros today still talk about how they get a little nervous when they go on stage yeah. because that's just part of the deal. When, yep. when I started, I was the drummer singer. So in a way, I had the security of these drums where you're kind, you know, you kind of have, I got this wall in front of me. I, I'm yeah. kind of safe. The guys up front didn't. They were right there, uh, you know, holding their guitar, their bass, or behind their, their keyboard, and they got their mic in front of them. I had a mic and a drum, and and I could even kind of hide behind a cymbal if I needed to. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's... Uh... It's that walking out on stage because everything we do in life is pretty similar to that. You know, walking out on stage, you're going to get that job that you really, really want, uh, and you you're going on stage. I mean, you're you're front and center. You're the front man for getting that job. Once you get out there and start uh, interviewing, and and uh, you know, and it makes it really exciting to. Uh, to go through that process. Yeah. Uh, by the way, before we get off uh, off of the music, especially when you're kind of doing it for a living as a kid, kind of a, is the right way to say it because we were living in the homes our parents had. So it's not like we, <laughs> it's not like we would uh, had to provide for shelter, right? But to your point, if you're one of the people in the band that's communicating with the audience. If you're if you're the front person, if you're singing, you're entertaining, you're also working with an agent that books you, and then you're working with the owner of the establishment. You you do by sometimes because you're forced to, you develop people skills that will carry you through the rest of your life because life is about communicating, connecting, doing deals, marketing, selling, building relationships. And being in a band can profoundly, in a positive way, impact that, in my opinion, Dan. You know, I, I totally agree with that. It's, it's uh, you know, I always say that you start developing your your toolbox of, of cool things that you learn to use throughout your life once you're, when, when you're born. I mean, it really starts then, and then it goes all the way till till today. Right now, we're learning. You and I are learning right now. I mean, this is this there is this process hasn't stopped, and I'm 69, and I imagine you're pretty close. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Transparency there, yeah. you know, and and uh, there's nothing to limit your anybody's dreams and imagination from being a real thing than themselves. I mean, yeah. they're the only ones that can limit themselves from, you know, moving on and having a great time and, and living the dream. And you know, that's where it all comes from is, is, is not being afraid, walking out on stage. 
Well, I'm 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 going to use that as a segue because you started what was a hobby as a young kid that became a profession that requires that you can't have fear. You just can't have fear. Right. And you started racing motorcycles, I, I think you said when you were 16. For some reason, I thought it was earlier, but when you were 16, and and you still do. So <laughs> what 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 prompted you as a 16-year-old kid? Because I don't remember a lot of motorcycle racers in the hood, so to speak. What prompted you to to make that part of your life, and a big part of your life, by the way? Yeah, it... Uh... I I believe that it's it's in my genetic makeup that I all of a sudden because because I I can read music I could get out I'm not afraid to get on stage I like being on stage I like I can sing I can play instruments I can do all of that and when I turned 16 all of a sudden I I realized that the, racing a motorcycle is something I can do I can afford. I, I can get started with this and maybe be good at it someday and uh, accomplish some things um, doing it. And it it was just like a light switch went off in my head. And I, once I started riding a motorcycle, once I was allowed by my parents to buy a motorcycle, and then I realized that riding it on the street wasn't any fun at all. And <laughs> And uh, so the next challenge was to go out to the to the track and and uh, start racing motorcycles. It was an incredible journey, and I went from amateur to pro pretty darn quick because uh, I don't know. It's like I get get an accomplishment or two, and all of a sudden I think I'm I'm the best there is, and here we go. And uh, and you get up to that level of professional. And you realize that, oh, boy, I, I didn't quite think that one through all the way. So here's what you got to do. So then it's, then it's another reinvention from amateur to pro to get up to that level to where you can actually start making a, a living doing it. And that's that's those guys are so incredible. It's, and you, you look at it and you go, man, there's only a few hundred of those guys in the whole country that are really on that level. And uh, and we're all like big family. Once we get off the racetrack, we're like a big family. But uh, yeah, just getting getting that transformation and and doing what it takes. You know, so many people they give up on their dreams and their their goals and things like that so easily. Uh, and I've been guilty of that too. There's things that I I I, I probably forgot them all, but. I um I I criticize people for and myself for letting go of a dream too soon. I should have kept with that. I should have stayed with that I, a little bit longer, and I would have got that. And now I know that. So 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 a lot of that has um, stuck with me, and I've accomplished that part of reinventing myself a lot better to not give up so easily. That's really important. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, I, if, if, if I would have quit pro race and just cause I got my, I got beat bad, 
I didn't qualify. I didn't make any money. All of a sudden I'm going, where are you going to get gas to get home? Even when it was 30 cents a gallon, <laughs> it's like $20 gets you just about anywhere. <clears throat> so, but anyway, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was a real learning experience and, and humbling to sit humbling to, to go through and, and, and then I managed to go, well, okay, I'm going to keep doing this because, because, because I, uh, I, I got on the podium a few times. I started making a few dollars and, and uh, jumping over cars was, was kind of my saving deal because I could go jump over cars and, and make money doing that no matter what I did on the racetrack. So it, uh, it really helped a lot, but boy, I tell you what, going out there on the track, and uh, jumping over cars in front of a lot of people um that's that's a risky business and and that's why i retired from professional racing was because there was too many people getting killed and those are part of my 200 friends that uh you know in the in the whole country that do this and you go geez wow wow it's my turn when's it my turn you know i don't want to die i really didn't believe that i was going to live past 30. I mean, I was pretty confident that something would happen and I'd just come home in a box one day. And, and, uh, but the thing that I learned from that was that after doing that, everything else in life is incredibly easy. Mm. And, and it's it, it, as challenging as it may be, like being in business or uh, reinventing myself in Hawaii, uh, moving to California. Uh, doing all the things that I've done in uh, the industries that I've been in have, have uh, it allows me to, to share that with other people and encourage them to imagine and live their dreams and, and do the best that they can do every day they get up. You know, that's the greatest thing in the world. You woke up, you get to go to work, you get to go live your dream. Um, it's, it's an amazing thing. You know, Dan, you said something uh, a couple minutes ago about when my parents um, mm. agreed to let me buy my first bike. Yeah. Kind of walk through that because the, the, you know, parents – and we're both parents. Parents can sometimes be a dream stealer because they want to protect their kids. Um, and they have a fear of, of something with regards to their kids. And it, clearly in this case, it makes a fair amount of sense that yeah. this is this is something that could cause Dan some, some heartache, right? And, and us. How long did it take to convince them? And did you ever have the follow-up conversation about, Thanks for being supportive. And why did you do it with, with regards to your parents? Wow. Yeah. Um, I did. And, and it was, I, I'm pretty sure my dad came with me on, on some of my first few jumps and things like that. And uh, I think before my first big professional motorcycle jump over cars, I, my dad, and I went to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. We sat right by the start and finish line and all that. And then he came back and I jumped over cars and I 
I just barely made it, you know, because he probably figured I was going to, he was going to have to take me home in a box or something. Uh, and I made it and I did okay and everything. And, and then uh, it was mostly them not saying, don't do it. Why do you do it? You know, like trying to talk me out of doing it because I'm, I've always been a little bit stubborn that way. Once I get a, a dream in my head, I'm, I want to do it. And, and, uh, and it's opened up so many doors throughout my life. And it still does today to, to keep doing it. And, and it's, it's, I don't, you know, it's just like when you wake up in the morning, you got to pinch yourself a little and go, man, how did I do all this? <laughs> so before we start talking about some more of your travels and, and what, you know, prompted you to, you know, pack your tent and move somewhere else. You're, you're still racing while well, you, you took some time off. And by the way, I always, here's one thing I always remember about Dan and what we'd be saying in the hood. We had our own evil Knievel. That That's how we looked at Dan. Um, but th this guy's going to go jump over a bunch of cars or buses, whatever. He was our evil Knievel. And that was always pretty cool, <laughs> I think. Yeah. So you took some time off, but you're racing again. And um, how many races a year are you doing now at a little over 40 years of age? God, I did about <laughs> 20. I did about 20 last year. And and uh, now now that I won another championship, I, I'm probably – I told my son yesterday, I said, I, it's all right if I don't race any times next year. Um, <clears throat> I've already signed up to race in Milwaukee at the Pfizer Center there in, <clears throat> in uh, February. But, <clears throat> excuse me, it, it's, uh, it's okay, you know, because I'm kind of past the torch now to them because we've got some incredible things that for them to uh, be able to make history with, uh, in the following year here or this year, it's 2023 now. Um, so a lot of my focus and attention is going to be working with the media and other, other, um, our marketing partners and things like that. So I'm more of a manager kind of guy now. And, uh, and I'm just fine if I don't race again ever, but it's, it was really fun last year to do some of the things that I've always wanted to do. I've raced out at Sturgis uh, probably 25 times. 25 times I've gone to Sturgis for the rally for the races, for instance. And I've never won. I, I went, I have never won a race in Sturgis. This year I got to win a race in Sturgis. So I was... I was stoked. I thought, now I can retire. <laughs> Again. I, I, I won uh, I, the class that I won the championship in in uh, American Motorcyclist Association AMA. This past year, I, uh, I was on the podium every single race. And that was, I don't know, about 11 or 12 races. <clears throat> and uh, I won quite a few of them. And and uh, felt good all year and finished third in another class. And, and two classes is pretty much enough for me. It's, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it, it, it's uh, next year is going to, this year here is going to be pretty interesting. And uh, 
you know, I got to give the other guys a chance, you know, I don't want to be hogging all the wins. Yeah. <laughs> so you sold uh, the family business in uh, 80-ish, somewhere in there. Yeah. And, and you moved to Hawaii. Yeah. What, what prompted, okay, Fargo to, to Hawaii? Uh, how did that happen? Well, it was kind of a simultaneous thing. I just got done winning the the championship down in Minneapolis at the big indoor down there. They just packed the place there. It's it was really great. And then um, we de- we decided there actually it was uh, my decision to to close out the clothing stores uh, because I seen I could see where that was going. Um, you know. Everybody was switching away from wearing suits and ties to to like we're dressed now, <clears throat> and and that that isn't there's no no profits in that, and um, I could I could I had the picture of that I dreamed that out and I went ten years from now I, I'd be standing in the store working eighty hours a week trying to keep the doors open trying to sell t-shirts and jeans. And it isn't what I wanted to do. I know what it's like to, to work retail and, and, you know, thank goodness. And our retail stores, we had amazing people that loved their jobs and they could relate to all the customers and everything like they did to, uh, and, and I could go out and go shop the markets and buy the coolest things we could possibly put on our bodies to wear outside. And, and um, it was just something I thought, you know, I think we can do better having a going out of business sale for for right through the holiday season and then lock the door and everybody can go retire. And it worked out really good. I mean, seriously, we had semi trucks show up every week to to reload the store with merchandise. I don't know, but I still got stuff, I'm sure, from the sale. <laughs> and anyway, so so it was re- retiring at the top of professional racing, retiring at the top of retail business, and going, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I really have no plan, so I might as well go to Hawaii and figure it out. And back then, there, of course, is no internet, no, not, you know, you know, you don't do job searches on a laptop because there wasn't no laptop. There was a yellow pages. So that was my that was my go to for figuring out what I was going to do next in life. And I, uh, <clears throat> you know, luckily I had enough money that I could be okay and play a lot of volleyball and smile at a lot of good looking ladies and and uh it was all good but over in hawaii and i got involved with the renewable energy business and that was incredible i mean the things that we did over in hawaii already and then a company from petaluma california this is just north of the golden gate in sonoma county said hey will you come over and do the marketing like you did over in Hawaii for us. And I said, you know, when they asked me if, if I'd come over and run the, the, the business with them as an operating officer, sure. 
I'd love to do that. You know, I'm good at HR. I'm good at, I can, I can hire the best people. I can train the best people to be even better. And um, we can expand that whole department to do more energy saving things besides just solar and things like that. So we, we, we grew the company really big there and it was, it was, it was, uh, you know, going from 12, 12 people when we got there, a cat and a dog. I always got to throw the cat and the dog in there, <clears throat> but uh, <laughs> to about 150 people and, and uh, 168 on the Inc. 500 list. So that was quite, quite a growth period there that we had uh, with, the, with the renewable energy company there. That was really fun. And uh, of course, with all that extra money, the, I got back into car racing over there in California. I had to do something besides just work all the time. <laughs> so I, I want to go back to something you you said because it, it's so important. Okay. And I don't know if in today's environment, because the way you teed this up, when you sold the store and then went over to Hawaii, there, there was no Google, there was no internet. Uh, there were newspapers and phone books. Um, that that's how you try to identify opportunities. Uh, and I, you didn't say it exactly this way, but I think you implied it. So you made calls. You made calls to find opportunities. And then when you uh, were asked to come over to California, you did the same thing. It was kind of like knocking on doors, building a team, but it was all about taking the steps and the actions required um, yeah. to, to market yourself. That, that's what you did. Yep. Yeah. It's like walking out on stage. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's uh, you know, you can tie that all together. It's just like, you know, when I got get get ready to go start a race, you know, you're, there's, you're thinking your focus my focus is just me. I'm not worried about the other competitors as much because that'll get in your head in, in a negative way too. Well, I don't know if I can do that. That's That guy's a little bit better. You know, he's got a better bike. He's got, you know, you, know, you, you, cut, you start making excuses, which absolutely do no good for your cause. Your cause has got to be you stepping up going, I can go out there and win this thing, and that's what I'm going to go do. I'm going to do everything I can do to make that thing happen. And same way with the the energy business and things like that. This is what we're going to do, and we're going to have bad days. We're going to have good days. We're gonna we're gonna keep plowing ahead. We're gonna keep making this bigger and better, the best we can. We're gonna bring it to to uh, to the top of the heap and uh, top of the pile. And here we go. Dan, you mentioned in the notes that you sent to me, and I loved it when I saw the word Rolodex, because I used to say, <laughs> and then young people look at me, well, what the heck is that? <laughs> Everybody stores things in their phone nowadays, right? But you mentioned that your experience in California made it possible for you to greatly expand your Rolodex. In other words, your, oh, your yeah. people of influence and context that you made. And that helped you in the next phase of, well, another phase, 
of your racing life. And that's the behind the scenes kind of thing. It kind of walk us through how, how, how that happened and how you still use it today. Yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's just increased the size of the Rolodex by quite a bit being out there where, <clears throat> where there was, oh man, I mean, some days I'd race sports cars on a road course in the afternoon. Then I'd go jump in a sprint car at night and race at that. So it's like two different venues, complete different venues. And, and there's a big family with each one. And that broke into TV, doing working with the television networks, doing the race coverage. It, it broke into um, Paul Newman pitted right next to me one time. So we were hanging out talking <laughs> all the time. Steve Perry of Journey. It's, it, I gave him a ride around the road course at Sears Point or Sonoma <clears throat> to uh, see, because he thought in his head that he might want to become a race car driver. He thought that would be fun because a lot of his friends have done that and actors and, and, you know, entertainment people, you know, with money, they can do just about whatever they want. And uh, so their dreams and passions are alive and well, and, um, and they figure it out, you know, and they either do it or they don't. And, and uh, you know, someday they might do really good at it and some might go, well, I think I'll try something else like balloon flying. <laughs> but uh, certainly, certainly that opened up. And still, I mean, so many of those people I still work with today, the people that uh, um, are involved in, in media, the people that are involved in racing, the people that are involved in, in their own businesses besides wine, like the wine wineries out there good grief i mean i i did a lot of work for corbell champagne sellers out there because they were just down the street with the uh <clears throat> the owner of corbell he said he likes drag racing so all our paths crossed over and I, all of those cars needed electronics for him to turn them on set the brakes do the things and you know, turn on the bells and whistles, and and I did the electronics for for those. Um, besides most of the cars and and uh, emergency vehicles and in the country, we we've sold stuff around the world actually with the with that business. And um, I was the electronic engineer for rescue vehicles at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, which was was a great job for for a while because because they would make like 40 tow trucks and they'd all be the same painted the same exactly and then they'd sell them all over the world people would come from all over the world to buy one every every race they had there so i did that for about six years because i did all the electronics for them so I, it was really just a big party and schmoozing with with a lot of entertainers and and people that are coming over to buy tow trucks but was, was that a skill that you developed because you had you you were your own mechanic as a 16 year old and, and as part of a mechanic and working on your bikes you learned electronics on the bike and and yeah. that a curiosity you just took it to another level is that how that worked yeah, yeah it sure did you know and, and actually 
same with the television networks. Um, I said I used to be a roadie in a band <laughs> when I got the job. Because <laughs> I know how to hook up a microphone. <laughs> I know how to plug it in. But no kidding. It, it's all that. All that. That's why I started off by saying, boy, when you're born, that's when you start learning the most. And 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 I I was truly amazed by my son and how hard we worked from birth till he was six years old to, uh, to uh, you know, allow him, give him the opportunity to learn things that most adults don't even know yet. And that was, that was really, I think, really, it really helped him a lot too. So I know it works and it works for me and, it, and it's, it's the same concept that works for anybody every day once they, when they wake up. It's like, how do you get out of bed? You're charged to uh, go to work and and do 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 what you want to do. You know, if you're doing something you sh- you don't like, you shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. But you need to figure out what to, what it is that you want to do, and that that's uh, that's that's the exciting part about it is is going, man. If if I could get a job working for ESPN, that would be the greatest thing ever. I'm going to go do that, you know, and, and all you got to do is say it in your head and then figure out how to do it, how to get that opportunity rolling forward. And it's, it's, it's all starts with an imagination. Yeah. But I'm going to ask you the a question about the letter you received that was another change in your life for you. But before I do, you, we had talked about that. You're, I, I'm a, a big Mike Roll guy. I, I I love how he talks about opportunities, skills, the trades, the dirty jobs, all that kind of thing. And I I really appreciate how he lets us know that um, because of the because of the work needed and the limited number of people that are there to do it, you're you're going to pay a you know a hefty price for for people that can come and fix the stuff that you don't know how to fix. So you, like Mike Rowe, have been always been a big supporter of learning skills, learning the trades, because th- there's almost nothing you can't do, right? Yeah, as far as that goes, yeah, I can I can wrench on my cars, I can wrench on my motorcycles, I can build a house to live in, I can do the electrical plumbing and carpentry. Um, so. So being a landlord now is, is kind of like a no-brainer. It's like, wow, yeah, well, you know, because that's everybody goes, well, what's the worst thing about being a landlord? Paying other people to fix stuff. So because it's going to happen sooner or later, you know, it doesn't happen very often, but you know, stuff happens. You know, stuff wears out. And and to be able to just go fix it, it's like not so bad. I mean, I'm pretty much retired, you know, but <laughs> busy, but retired. So I, I kind of schedule my days as I need. So you're kind of living the life. You're busy. You're growing a business. You're, you have side gigs going on that keep you very engaged, involved, and uh, meeting uh, new people, expanding your Rolodex, and out of the blue, as you're minding your own business, you get this letter from Lutheran Social Services that kind of changes your life. Oh, it, boy. Tell, tell us about the letter. 
So yeah, right away I kind of sat there for a couple of days actually because I going oh god, and thinking it's like a paternity suit or something like that, you know. <laughs> and I went, I should probably just open it and see what it says, face the music, you know, because that's what you do, Dan. And it was my biological family. They were they're wanting to get together you know, to communicate with me um, because I found out that I, I have had three full biological sisters and a brother that lived up by Minot. And it was, it was then, see, oh, that's when it all came together, why the light switch went off and I decided I had to go racing because they're, their whole biological thing is racing. I mean, they're all racing all their life. And I, I went, wow, that's so weird. But it made sense to me then. This is why, you know, this is why I'm not a, a rock star instead of a, a I'm a race star instead of a track star, you know, music guy. But no, it was uh, it was really great. We got together uh, at a race in Las Vegas because it was kind of like in between both of us, and it was it was kind of a magical weekend there to to look at your your biological mother and father, and and then you look in the mirror and you go, "Wow, <laughs> I get it." I get it. And your sisters are, are crazy like you are. And uh, Dan, let me ask you a question. Who was racing in the family on your biological side? Who were the racers? Um, it would have been my my dad mostly. And but they were all such big, you know, they all grew up in a family that went to races a lot and all that too. But he was involved with racing. Um he was pretty much a truck driver by trade. And and had you know multiple skills in 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 other uh, trades too, but mostly a truck driver. And uh, him and his buddies out in Minot would build race cars, and they were mostly involved in sprint car racing and things like that. So it was pretty fun, you know, because they were they were uh, they were up there with the best guys in the neighborhood, so to speak, you know. Is that what that Donnie Shots does? Is that sprint car yeah. Donnie Shots? Yeah. You He's got, a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. That whole Shots family is from Minot area. And they are uh, uh, great friends of our, my biological family too. And um, the, the scene, Danny Shots, he just passed away this past year. And, uh, you know, and they they are such big deals. I, I just, that whole family has put their whole life into to racing. You know, you think you think that they just run their truck stops. They only run their truck stops to make lots of money, <laughs> so that they can go racing. That's the deal. I'm sure that they, you know, both of them are incredibly profitable. Uh, since, you know, Donnie's been a champion, I, I can't, I think 11 or 12 times. And, and, uh, it, it's that those guys, they, you know, they, they have the semi 
just to haul the t-shirts and stuff to sell to the fans at every race. And every race is about, I don't know, it's a lot. It's like more than 80 races a year. And, and they run multiple truck stops and, and they have a whole nother semi to haul the race car stuff and that whole team. So it's, it's, a you know, dozens of people all put together to orchestrate accomplishing a winning goal on a regular basis. And that's, that's a hard thing to do. That's really hard to do. Hard to be consistent. It's hard to be uh, always uh, performing at the, you get tired of stuff, you know, you go, God, I just would like to take a weekend off, you know, I do now, but back when you're doing it, you're going, man, you got to do it. You got to do it. You got to do it. I got to go do it. I got to do it. This is what I do. I'm I'm sitting here saying to myself, I wonder if your biological father or you for that matter knew my wife's family, Schultz's, my wife's dad and his brothers race cars. And they were all out of the Washburn area. So they race in Washburn, up in Minot, uh, in other locations. And her dad, who was also a Methodist preacher, his handle was the Racing Rev. Oh, wow. (laughs) I bet I've met him. (laughs) The Racing Rev, Marv Schultz. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds really familiar. (laughs) So you you, you end up coming back to North Dakota after you... Uh, right. Get the letter and then meet in Las Vegas. Right. You know, I, I'd i really put a, a lot into California. California is like a whole different level out there. I mean, everything out there costs a ton of money. I mean, uh, you so in other words, you got to make a lot of money to, to survive out there. That's why there's so many homeless people out there because they can live in a tent out there and not freeze to death. But, uh, you know, most of them do work. They just don't make enough money to, to for, or, you know, a, a one room studio apartment in the Bay Area is pretty much 3000 bucks a month. So, so I can see that living in a van or something ain't so bad. <laughs> Boy, uh, but, um, you know, so, but the pace you have to run out there to, afford a decent house and a nice car and not, you know, just living out there. It's, it's, boy, you got to really have the pedal to the metal all the time. And so it looked pretty cool, kind of a cool idea to get reacquainted with the, with the biological family. Uh, When they said, Hey, you want to come and help run a bar and restaurant in, in Belva, North Dakota, you know, it's like, wow. See, there's like 2,000 people in Belva, I think, and I'm coming from a Bay Area of about 16 million. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I packed all my stuff and I moved to uh, Belva, North Dakota, and and we we uh, ramped up the the bar restaurant. We had live music. We had uh, steak night and lots of things going on there. And, and it was the place to have everybody in town come there for breakfast and at the restaurant. And so you'd see everybody would be there. Uh, 
you know, once once a day at least. <laughs> and, and so the numbers were pretty good. And mom wanted to retire, my biological mom. And and and, and so she, she, found, she found a buyer and and then I uh started working in Minneapolis a lot. I moved kind of to Minneapolis for a while. And and then uh I was doing uh home remodels, bathrooms and kitchens and stuff like that in, in the in the metro Minneapolis metro and and that that too is that's like right back into the chaos of 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 California of gridlock roads and everything else like it's hard to live out there because traveling about is is really hard I mean I just and I my son said dad why don't you move to Fargo every time we go there you you're the happiest I see you ever mm-hmm. you're you're all your friends are there and and uh you know everybody go back to Fargo. So I did. And here I am. <laughs> and, and, and it all, and it, and it all works. And it all works. But then the other thing I want to, I want to touch. So we, I think folks are listening kind of figured out one of the reasons I thought it'd be really important for them to hear. Not everything about you. Cause we, again, we could have a series on Dan Jacobson, <laughs> but you, um, uh, consistently reinvented yourself uh, because you would pay attention to opportunities. Sometimes opportunities, some people would say that's luck, but I'm the one that believes luck is all about when opportunity and preparation meet and you have the skills and you, you've done a masterful job of always making sure you have the skills that um, provide you opportunity, frankly. So you, you end up moving back to Fargo. You're still race. But then you take it uh, to another level. You decide that community involvement and giving back is really important, which I agree, by the way. And thanks for yeah. all you do. And so you have this other handle. You have Dangerous Dan as a handle and Derby Dan, because you started this Derby for the Vets some years ago. Walk us through, because you're going to do it again. Walk yeah. us through how that got started, why you're doing it, and how people can help. You know, Derby for the Vets was the craziest thing. You know, one I was one Saturday afternoon, I was down at the downtown Fargo VFW, and a bunch of guys were racing their little Pinewood Derby cars. You know, a five ounce block of wood going down a gravity powered track, and and I I just looked at that whole concept and I went, holy, this this could blow blow up to something really important and and uh and so i i took that event gave it a fancy name derby for the vets adult pinewood derby so for all these years because the vfw was 21 or older there's no kids involved this is all adults you know having a blast on a saturday afternoon because anybody any dad that's helped their kid make a pinewood derby car wish that they had one too you know wish that they had a place to go race their car at so we took this deal i think the first year we we made uh uh 300 bucks or something like that you know it was about the same as it was the year before and then the next year it went to 600 and then it went to 
1800 and then it went to 10 grand and then it went to 21 grand and and 10 years later we'd raised over a hundred thousand dollars for the va hospital um mm. because i never i would never allow myself to take the my foot off the gas and always make it better and always include the uh, the community to grow it even bigger and better than than it was the year before um you know it with confidence you go into the next year and you go it's going to be bigger bigger and better than it was before and we got to that point where we're we're uh you know we doing i mean it, this is the cheapest race than anybody will ever do i'll guarantee you i think it's 20 dollars entry fee and you get a kit with it and everything so if you don't have a car you can make a car and uh, so it's really not the entries that's doing it. It's the community support from from all our marketing partners and things like that 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 make it work. And and people just come out of the woodwork and write us a check and and uh, say, here, I love what you're doing. And and it, and it, and it is, you know. And, and last year we were able to do it out at the Air Museum and and include everybody, the whole family. That was really fun to do too. That's something that I always wanted to do. And, and certainly now I think they can do that uh, no matter where, where we have it this coming year. Um, they're still bouncing around some ideas and stuff like that because the uh, patriotic body, United Patriotic Bodies are going to take over all the hard work that I did. Um, I gave them the keys to the car and all they got to do is start it up and go. Um, <laughs> and I'll, I'll be on the sidelines cheering them on and, and, you know, get up on the, you know, once again, get on the stage, <laughs> grab a microphone and say, Hey, hey, here we go. Hey, were you, were you in the soapbox derby? I never did. You know, I, as much as I wanted to race down that hill at, at the YMCA, um, the best I ever did was skateboard down that. And they probably yelled at me for doing that. I don't know. <laughs> <clears throat> but so, so is it too early for people to go to a website or something to help support um, Derby for the Vet? Is there, is it, they, you know, the, on a, on, certainly on the Facebook page, Derby for the Vets, Adult Pinewood Derby, <clears throat> they can, they can, uh, connect there to make any kind of donations they want or ask any questions they want. And, and certainly, uh, you know, we still, we still do a lot with that, you know, and boy, you know, the mayor's cup, we have, we have a, the mayor's challenge every year and, and it's uh, Dilworth, Moorhead, Fargo, West Fargo. Uh, one year it was, uh, Horace was was even in it too, and you know you get those mirrors. Those guys are competitive. <laughs> I, I can see it in your eyes too. It's like heck yeah! I tried to get you one year, and you, you like, when you were mayor at Bismarck, I said, "Come on, show these guys how to do it." <laughs> you know that's that's you know you got to think outside the box. You know that. I got a lot of stuff in my little toolbox of, of what I know, but, but boys, all the fun's outside that box. <laughs> you get to come up with an idea. 
This thought just came to me as we're talking about you being downtown VFW and Dan, wasn't there, there was a place on Broadway where you could go race slot cars. Oh, do you remember that place? I didn't, I don't remember one on Broadway in Fargo, but I remember one at Brookdale in Morad. They had a really big one, and that's where Blacks and the Togri opened up the clothing store in. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, typically a soccer track is a landlord's last-ditch attempt to try to get a little bit of money because they usually didn't draw too much money to be yeah. able to pay real rents. But so when, when somebody came along that, that was willing to pay a decent rent for something, then it was, okay, see you later. Got to go. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I, and in fact, I just saw something the other day about a, a go-kart track. I think it's a slot car track that's coming back. I think, you know, people are still trying that concept. It's hard. It's hard, you know, because I don't know. But yeah, slot cars are super fun. I used to love that. Who did? No, I, I used to love it. It was a place yeah. on Broadway. I don't think it was there very long. Yeah. And I'm going to say we were probably in fourth, fifth, sixth grade, somewhere in there, maybe seventh. Yeah. And uh, I bought a car, raced it, had fun for about a year. Well, as, as we're wrapping this up, Dan, uh, from your experiences in terms of opportunity paying attention being curiosity and then taking the steps of action required what's your advice for people today with regards to things they can do to take advantage of timing and opportunity well certainly let your imagination fuel your dreams and don't be afraid of taking that next step and there could be a lot of little steps and a lot of uh, resistance to get to get there, to get the opportunity to live that part. But boy, I tell you what, don't give up on it. Don't give up on it. Keep keep going. Keep going. Keep going. That's you just. Uh, I can't stress that enough. Do not be afraid of your dreams and, and let your imagination uh, drive your drive your your uh, goals yeah hey dan thanks so much for joining me this has been a whole we could we could talk at great length about a whole bunch of other stuff yes. with regards to how we grew up and i just think the world of you i've always been fascinated with your with your walk and the things that you've accomplished and it's just an incredibly versatile guy and passionate and you always have this great smile yeah. Appreciate you so much and really appreciate what you're doing in terms of giving back to the community for the Derby, for the vets, the adult Pinewood races. That's it. So folks can go to Facebook and contribute there. Appreciate you joining me on Mike Seminary and Friends, Dan. You have a great day. Anytime, Mike. Appreciate it. We'll do another chapter some other day. We will. Hey, start that book. Yes. Yes.